You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Thursday, everybody. How's it going? Coast, coast, coast. We got a great show for you. Lots on the go. Oh, man. I tell you, it's hard to keep up with the amount of news, but I'll tell you what's going to... Let me just give you a sense of what's coming. Two-time Olympian, great NHL player Jeremy Roenick is going to jump on the program right away because he's had a horrible experience at Air Canada since we're talking about this, and he called it absolute incompetence. We're going to get to competence in a minute. So Roenick's coming on. Because we want to deal with competence again. And then we're going to deal with competence and conspiracies. Themes of the day. Competence and conspiracies. Now why am I dealing with that on the program today? Competence because the federal government once again, as I said yesterday, is in a crisis of competence. Over a number of issues, 7.7% inflation, what are you doing about it? Long lineups at passport offices and airlines, what are you doing about it? I really think that people waited, and and 90% of Canadians who took those vaccines and, and did the right thing and suffered through COVID, they... Expected once this was all done and the mandates were finally lifted, that they would be able to get back to their lives. But instead, they're hitting uh, inflation. They can't drive anywhere because it's too expensive. And then if they can actually pony up the dough to fly or try to get a passport, they can't even do it. It's just like, come on. We did our part in the social contract. you got to do your part, which is make sure the systems work. That's what we're paying this tax for. That's why we stayed home. And when you get a breach of that contract because of competence, it's a problem. So, so we've dealt with that, and we will continue. In fact, I'll tell you who's going to join us today. It's kind of really interesting. Not just Ronick on that, but we are going to deal, we are going to be joined by the president of the Union of National Employees who represents passport office employees. They're getting death threats. There are people who are literally following passport employees home, Passport Canada. Like, so I, we've done the other side. We talked to a woman yesterday, Marie Tremblay, who is waiting and camping outside with her six-month-old to get a passport. I railed on the competence. Well, how about those passport workers? They're just doing their jobs. They're not given the tools. What do you hear their side? we got to flip the telescope. It's pretty frightening. Incompetence leads to this stuff. But then it's conspiracy side. So much as I'll, I'll crank up the criticism and hold the accountability for the government, whoever they are, are you competent? Something else is happening. Something stunned me yesterday. Yesterday, as we know, more than 20 conservative MPs welcomed James Topp to Parliament Hill. Now, who's James Topp? He was on this program. He's the veteran 
And we always thanked him for his service. He came on this program. I was one of the few major national outlets to do any interview with him. I think I may have been the only one. He's a veteran. He's walked across Canada 4,200 kilometers. He's ended up in Ottawa. And there's going to be a protest on Parliament Hill on Canada Day. We know that. About this. And I spoke to him, but he was welcomed by over 20 MPs, which is fine. They should talk to him. I have no problem with that. And and here's what he spoke to MPs yesterday, and here's what he said. Because there is a divide in this country I have never seen or experienced before, and um, I've only ever seen it in a war zone. Well, uh, that's his characterization. We have a divide in Canada like he's seen in a war zone in Afghanistan. I don't believe that. But that's his view. I don't share that. We're not nearly that divided here. We're not approaching Afghanistan level. The trucker protest, however big it was, was not was hardly that significant. But nonetheless, another veteran who I've met recently and spoke to, Tom Marazzo. He served our country as well. You might remember Tom Marazzo. He was a spokesperson during the convoy. He actually offered some kind of deal that he would work with the NDP and the conservatives and the bloc to form some kind of coalition against the liberals. He's, he's unelected. He actually ran for Derek Sloan's party and lost. And he somehow was, 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 it was baffling. They, they were offering some kind of coalition like the protesters who are unelected were going to be in some power-sharing agreement. That's not how democracies work. And he was a leading spokesperson. And he's well-trained in the military. And yesterday, he said something, and he said, they're trying to say, this is so bad that we've got to get government officials to meet with us. And he characterized this, again, I don't want to mischaracterize it. I'm going to let his words speak. So before I say it, I want you to hear, here's how what Mr. Marazzo said. James has been to a civil war. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here. But there's a lot of similarities that are, you know, pre, pre-civil wars around the globe. If you look at your history, we don't want that here. We're, we're going down a very dark path in this country, and uh, we need help. So Tom Marazzo, those are his words. I'm not saying a civil war is going to happen here, but there's a lot of similarities there are. You know, pre-civil wars around the globe, if you look at your history. As if we are on the verge of something. You show up on Parliament Hill. You're welcomed by MPs and you're talking about similarities between failed states like Afghanistan and pre-Civil War. Now, I actually spoke off the record to a bunch of the, the protesters who said the mainstream media is twisting their words again. And I spoke to Mr. Top last night. I literally bumped into him and I spoke to him and he said, my words are being twisted. But look, words are words and it matters. And 20 or 23 conservative MPs met, including a guy named Jeremy Patzer, who's a Alberta conservative MP. And then he said this to the group. You have allies. You have support. Listen. You have support. You've had support all along. Um, it takes a lot of work and effort to get that message out. He said you have allies. And then he said you have support. Here's the thing. MPs are free to do whatever they want. But this is a significant moment where the same people who were spokespeople for that trucker protest in Ottawa 
are now being invited into Parliament Hill. They are being supported by and lent credibility by conservative MPs. They included the disgraced and discredited doctor from America, Trump's old doctor, who doesn't believe in anything about the vaccines. And now this is part of it. This is a litmus test. Big chunks of the Conservative Party are inviting these folks who, remember, these are the folks who were supporting groups that had an MOU to overthrow the government, that wanted to have coalitions with unelected people to govern the country. Now they're inside Parliament. So you got competence problems for the government, like major competence problems. you got a conspiracy problem. Why would you do this? this is, there are people here that don't believe in science and facts. Okay. What are the choices? Now, somebody... A senior conservative senator last night sent me a note and said that they're wondering if one day, this is the note said, one day they think red Tories and blue liberals will get together and form a coalition. That they'll split off. That if Pierre Pauly ever wins, that they're going to split off. We'll split off if Pierre wins. Red Tories merging with blue liberals to save the nations from Trump-style populism. This is a senator wrote me that. And I said, that's never going to happen. I said, look, Republicans didn't split under Trump. Liberals are locked in an NDP deal. The senator is open and unoccupied. Red Tories are few in number and leadership. Pierre wins. Sheree and Brown don't run. These are fantasies from the, from the, the Mulroney 80s and the Kretchen Martin years. And there's already a graveyard erected to Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay who tried it. Dream on. We are stuck. We'll take a break. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show. On the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Well, traveling is uh, a nightmare. Getting a passport is a nightmare. Certain airports are a nightmare. Probably the thing that went most viral is when this is all picked up by NHL stars. Former NHLer Ryan Whitney posted this video on Twitter and it went totally viral. It has been seen millions of times about Toronto Pearson International Airport. Listen to this. I said, can I just get my bags? I had a ride to Buffalo all set up, and I had a JetBlue flight from Buffalo. I just need to get out of this country, out of this airport. This is the worst airport on earth. I'm telling you, there's no other airport like this. Now, that went viral. Now, the truth is there's lots of crappy airports right now. I don't think that's an excuse, but if you want to look around the world right now and say, you know, just Google airport chaos, you'll get, I don't know, London, You'll get Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport, where there's missing bags and long lines. You'll get Heathrow. You'll get uh, Gatwick. You'll get, I don't know, thousands of flights canceled all over. You want to go to the United States? You're going to get Delta, who has canceled something like 14,000 flights. Like, there's no shortage of this. Is that an excuse? No. But then another NHL, after the Formula One, Last weekend in Montreal, it was a disaster. Like, then you had people literally getting pulled off planes, and no one could understand it. One of the guys who lost his luggage was the famed NHLer and Olympian Jeremy Roenick. And now, I remember watching Roenick play, and he played with passion. And let me tell you something. He tweets with the same kind of passion. And the former NHLer, author, and two-time Olympian joins us now. JR, buddy, what's cooking? 
Hey, my friend, how you doing? I'm glad to be on with you today. Yeah, it's good. I'm going to get to that. I can just tell you that just before the pandemic, you remember when you did the video of your uh, like home backyard. Olympics where you did yeah, like backyard. 10 different That's- things? Yeah, the backyard workout. Yep. The backyard. I ended up, I had to raise money for a Boys and Girls Club charity, and I did the backyard workout inspired by the Rona. It was great. So I owe That's you that. awesome. Yes. I love that. Yeah, that I, great. Great I to totally did it because, you know, we were all stuck in our homes, so I did like 13 things just like you. It was great, but it was completely inspired by the backyard workout of Rona. So it was great. What happened to you when you were leaving the Montreal? Well, I mean, we only have a 10-minute segment. I mean, literally the story that happened with me last week and that my entire trip to Canada via Air Canada would take about 30 minutes because of the total debacle that ha- happened. Seriously. From the, from, yeah, from the word go, from the moment I was trying to step on a plane in Chicago at 3.30 on Thursday of last week, the 16th, where my flight was delayed an hour and a half, I ended up missing my next flight connection after I landed with an hour an hour of leeway time to connect my next flight. I literally sat at the gate with the doors open to the airplane, waiting an hour for a flight for an agent to come down and greet us at the plane to escort us off the plane. Cause I guess they won't let you off the plane unless an agent comes down right. and goes and opens the door. We waited an hour. I've never in my life heard of waiting an hour for a gate agent to come let people off the plane while people that were having flights going to Europe, to Rome, to Spain, to England, to Amsterdam, all these people's flights are getting ready to leave. And we sat for an hour waiting for a gate agent and people missed their flights. Luckily I didn't miss my flight because the next flight was delayed. And when I got there, I come to find out that my first class seat had been given away because Air Canada rebooked me on a flight the next morning. And then I couldn't get on this flight because they gave my pass, my seat to another passenger and the flight hadn't left yet. And I'm sitting at the gate. And then once we got on the plane, because they got me the last seat on there in the back of the plane. So I didn't make the flight. They, they put me on the flight. We sat on the run on by the gate waiting and the pilot tells us that we have to wait for a baggage crew to come load our bags onto the plane it took an hour and 20 minutes to wait for a baggage crew just to come load our bags onto the plane then the baggage crew just took off when they were done and the pilot came back on and said sorry to inform you guys but that crew was supposed to push us off of the jet, off of the, the gate into the runway. We have to call for another crew to push us off. By that time, we, it was 12 o'clock at night. We waited another 20 minutes for another crew. Just total mayhem. It was, just, it was such a cluster F. You have no idea. And, and by the way, I'm speaking to Jeremy Roenick, NHLer. You know that after... Even um, Motorsport Week said, would Air Canada care to explain why 30 or so passengers were removed from a Montreal to London flight last night by police, including one of our employees and various other F1 staff? No reason was given. Like, there seemed to be chaos coming, and that was like, F1 was furious. They said this included a pregnant lady. F1 had to step in and arrange hotels for everyone and replacement flights via British Airways the following day. But, you know, 
JR, there's a lot of folks that will say, ah, oh, JR is used to private jets. He's a rich NHLer. People are complaining first world problems. But if you go around the world, London, every, there's like shortages like this. I'm not using this as an excuse because this drives me crazy. I cannot understand the competence issue. But there's like 14,000 domestic flights were canceled or delayed in the past weekend in the U.S. as well. Like, what the hell is going on here? Listen, I, I, and I will say this. I, I still don't know where my bags are. My bags are probably... Are your bags probably, still lost? Yeah, my bags, my, all my clothes and my shoes and my hockey gear is probably on the corner of, of, of St. Laurent Street in Montreal getting black, you know, black marketed out in the street right now. I have no idea where... Wait a second. So are. after all that, you would land and your bags are lost and they're still lost a week later? Yeah, I missed my flight on the way back from Montreal because Montreal was a disaster. So I missed my only flight to San Diego. I had to stay over in Montreal, and they redirected me to San Francisco because that's the closest I could get to San Diego. And Monday was my 30th anniversary, and I spent it on the plane the entire day trying to get home. And I finally got home, and my bags never showed up like they, they, like they said they would. So I have wow. no idea. And I said, well, scan, scan them. Where they, don't they scan the bags onto the plane? They're like, yeah. no, we don't do that. But anyway, so you say why this is happening. I truly believe this all starts at the top. It starts with leadership. And it starts with the leadership at the top of our country, with the people that run our country, that make the policies on what, whether people are going to be able to work, how much they're going to work, the regulations that they're putting on, on different companies, whether it's gas-related, whether it's, business related whether it's environment related the the policies that are that our that our government is is putting on us sending free money to people to keep them home so they don't have to go to work the shortage of of workers in America and in Canada because they're not motivated to work because they're getting free money but they're not getting that now that 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 contributed to labor shortage for sure during covid but they're not that's they're that's over here. oh they're not doing it here, here. That, that's uh, that's well, over here well, listen, it, it's, it, com- it, becomes, it becomes an epidemic. And once you give people the reason not to work, it's hard to get them to come back. There are not enough people working in the airlines to, to, crazy. to provide the, what is needed for our normal travel. Uh, I, I'm with you. I'm with, people people pay a lot of money to fly, and they've been waiting. And, and, and we and are now. Yeah, and we're and 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 what people put up with now, like it's a when you book an hour long flight somewhere, two hour long flight, you got it's like a whole day of your holiday is traveling. It's a nightmare. Um, this is this is crazy. Jr. Two things. I got a minute and a half. A, while you're ever going to run for politics, and B, thirty years of marriage, dude. I'm impressed, man. I just did twenty. Yeah. I just did twenty one years. But that's impressive. Well done. Congrats. Yeah, I have a wonderful wife. I have a very strong wife. I have a very durable wife and understanding wife. And you a have wife a patient wife, JR. Loyal. You got a patient. Very, very patient. <laughs> very, very patient. You got a patient she's, wife. She's very loyal, and I'm, I'm so lucky You're to good. be married to her for 30 years. But um, And politics, listen, I, my politics come o- over the social media, and, and I love being out with people, and, and I'm just like everybody. I'm, I, I'm a normal person like everybody. And by the way, I don't take private planes. I, I, I buy economy. I, I, yeah. I'm a normal, everyday guy. And I just like to see my life be as easy no. and as, as easily run as I can. And right now, nobody's having an easy road of it right Dude, now. Dude, hey, JR, come, Jeremy Rona, come back anytime, man. Uh, safe travels. I mean it on that on the marriage. That's You've done a lot of great things. That could be your uh, greatest. You guys are great. Thanks, brother. Great. Best to everybody out there. Thanks, man. 
If they said it, we'll call them on it. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the competence and conspiracy-themed Thursday edition of The Big Show. We're spending a lot of time on competence, government incompetence or competence, whether it deals with the RCMP, which we will talk about, or passport offices, or airlines, or a myriad of other issues, but also conspiracies. Last night on uh, Power Play, I was covering the fact that over 20 conservative MPs met with some of the leading figures from the trucker protest back in February, and one guy who wasn't there but who's leading a new protest that will happen on Canada Day, James Topp. He's a 28-year veteran. He fought in Afghanistan. Um, he's a guy I, uh, I've interviewed on this program for half an hour, so we've spent time with them. Um, and we've, we've talked to all these people, as you know I do. Uh, and he was on Parliament Hill. And Leslie Lewis and Carrie Ann Finley and lots of others, James Bazan, lots of uh, conservative members of parliament uh, were giving them tours. But along for the ride were others with James Topp, including Tom Marazzo, a guy I've also recently spoken to. And um, Tom Marazzo, also a veteran. Tom Marazzo was one of the spokespeople for the trucker convoy. He was one of the guys that was pitching during the convoy that he would happily form a coalition with the conservatives, the bloc, and other parties uh, against the liberals, even though he's unelected. He did run for Derek Sloan's party, didn't win. Um, but he's back, and, and he was there, and, and, and he had talked about um, last night, he mentioned that, you know, Mr. Topp had seen a civil war. Now, he says he's being taken out of context here, but let me play you what he said. James has been to a civil war. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here. But there's a lot of similarities that are, you know, pre, pre-civil wars around the globe. If you look at your history, we don't want that here. We're, we're going down a very dark path in this so, country, and uh, we need help. So Tom, Tom Ratz was saying to, to, to MPs, we need help, that there's similarities between what, like Afghanistan and Canada, and that's how divided it is, and he uses the word civil war. Now, I spoke to James Topp, and I spoke to Tom. They both say they're being taken out of context, but you're on Parliament Hill, and you're talking about pre-Civil War stuff. And then then Jeremy Pat- Patzer, who's an MP from Alberta, who met with Pat King, who's in prison, as you know, one of the leaders of the convoys, during that on, on the way to, to Ottawa. And Patzer was there and he's saying, you have allies, you have support. Listen to what he said. You have support. You've had support all along. Um, it takes a lot of work and effort to get that message out. Now, Justin Ling is a freelance investigative journalist and a lot of work on this. I want to bring him on because a lot of people are texting me. It's like, so what they met? So what Les and Lewis was there? Big deal. They're just talking to these people. What's the big deal? Justin Ling is listening in. Justin, what is the big deal? I mean, the big deal is that our politicians have now used Parliament to platform, to conspire with, to legitimize some folks with some truly harebrained beliefs. I mean, it's not like any of us can just, uh, you know, call up the Conservative Party and get a meeting with 12 MPs to discuss all of our grievances. I mean, uh, oftentimes, you know, MPs' time is scarce. It can be difficult to snag these meetings. The fact that they've 
you know, got an hour of their time, actually two hours over you know, two different meetings with, you know, upwards of a dozen conservative MPs. The fact that they got them into a room, you know, presented them a PowerPoint presentation, took questions, streamed it for the world to see, and presented some of the kookiest anti-scientific, anti-vaccine nonsense. It, it's it's unconscionable. I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I have... Certainly not been critical of the idea of going out and chatting with folks who are on the streets in downtown Ottawa, even chatting with the organizers, having discussions. I think generally speaking, if it's done in a responsible way, that's all right. But the idea that 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 these folks came and sat in Parliament and broadcast to the world the idea that vaccines are killing scores of people – the idea that we're tilting towards a civil war, the idea that, you know, the prime minister is, 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 is generally illegitimate because of the way that he dealt with this. You know, all of this is just it is it is bringing us to a place where we are emboldening this incredibly small minority uh, in a way that I, I find unconscionable. It's interesting uh, speaking to Justin Ling about this. I, I had an MP on last night, um, uh, Dane Lloyd. And he's the shadow minister for emergency preparedness. So you'd think he'd know a thing or two about the convoy, right? And I asked him, I was like, I said, well, okay, you're the shadow minister for emergency preparedness. I think it was, you say it's over a dozen. I think it was over 20 MPs, but we're trying yeah. to finalize the number. But they met with these folks for two hours. One of the guys I said was Tom Marazzo, and another guy was a guy named Blueford. I said, these guys were well-known during the convoy for weeks. They had press conferences. Tom Marazzo was sitting beside Tamara Litch. Like, he's not hiding it. He gave a presentation. And I said, like, what do you make of this? And literally, the, the Dane Lloyd, the shadow minister of emergency preparedness, said this to me. I don't know who these individuals are. I've heard of Mr. Top and his walk across Canada, and I commend him uh, for raising an issue that he thinks is important. I think it's important for Canadians uh, when they have an issue with what the government's doing, that they have the right to freedom of expression and that they have the right to protest within the law. And, and I'll always support that. Um, but as far as uh, the other folks, I don't, I don't know them, so I can't speak authoritatively on that. He doesn't know them. Like, you're the shadow minister of emergency preparedness. You're... And you don't know who the leading some of the some of the most well-known figures of of the of the literally the um, event that triggered the use of the emergencies. I, I OK, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he didn't pay attention. Maybe he slept through that. I have no idea. I was a bit stunned. But but the idea that, look, everybody supports peaceful protest. Everyone does it. Is it different to support protests and then to do a presentation like this? And who else gave presentations last night? It wasn't just these guys. Yeah. Yeah, so so this is interesting. So I've actually spoken to one member of the Conservative Caucus about this as well. Um, some of the background as to what happened is that um, you know, this 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 guy you know um, has been has been you know walking across the country, running across the country, James Top, um, you know, in opposition to vaccine mandates. And generally speaking, James Top has not said anything that obscene. He has not, generally speaking, promoted anti-vaccine junk. I mean, he has, generally speaking, kept his message to the idea yeah. that public servants, um, you know, members of Canadian Armed Forces, police should not be removed from duty because they refuse to get vaccinated. And, and, and frankly, I don't think there's a huge problem with sitting in and chatting with James Top, a veteran, a guy who's, you know, you know slept across the country to do this. But uh, by the way, I agree, and that's yeah. why he was on this program. I totally agree. Go it, ahead. It, exactly. But here's and I know that several MPs showed up to that committee room yesterday thinking it would just be James Top. And I know that a couple of them saw these other guys and went, 
I don't know who these people are. I'm getting out of here, right? Shook James Top's hand, took off. A bunch of other MPs didn't do that. They went and sat in that room. Okay, so the presentations begin. And James Top doesn't do most of the talking. Most of the talking is done by a guy named Paul Alexander, who was an advisor to the Trump administration, who was fired by Donald Trump for taking too extreme a position. I mean, he has repeatedly said that you know, COVID is no threat. He advocated for a herd immunity strategy that actual experts say would have killed millions of people. He has repeatedly said the vaccines are not vaccines, are not safe, and are killing scores of people. The man is a quack. I, there's no other word for it. He has been one of the most influential anti-vaccine doctors in North America in recent years. He was also in the U.S. convoy. Um, so this man started presenting. All of this insane stuff. And he actually, by the way, has also advocated for a tribunal to try leaders, public health officials, premiers, mayors for war crimes for their role in advocating vaccines, by the way. Paul Alexander sat there and gave an absolutely kooky um, diatribe against not just vaccines, but all public health measures, masks and PCR tests. Some MPs, to their credit, heard this, got up and left the room. A bunch of other MPs didn't. They sat there. They asked questions. Um, you know, they, they took photos afterwards. You heard Jeremy Pastor say, we support you. We've always supported you. You know, that is insane. This is insane. I mean, I'm not sure we really. I just fully... got, I got 20 seconds here, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is insane. I, I, that's the final point. This is nuts. The fact that we are supporting these people. Ditto for Tom Morazzo, a guy who said the prime minister needs to be tried for murder and treason. The fact that they're sitting in parliament, getting this platform, getting lauded by these MPs, it's n I can't believe we're here. Well, they're about to have another protest on Canada Day, and we'll see where this goes. But as you say, they are now much more deeply fused members of that party. Uh, Justin Ling, who's done great work on this and continues to. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I do have to take a break, folks. Stay with us. Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on. The iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the program. By the way, uh, Chris, I'm going to surprise you. We have a bit of breaking news. Michelle Rempel Garner, the well-known uh, conservative MP, who was um, the co-chair of the Brown campaign and left so she could pursue the um, leadership of the United Conservative Party to re replace Jason Kenney, who has great polling, has just released a long substack saying, I am not going to offer in this UCP leadership race. She said, I'm tempted to. The polls say I have a shot. I've received a lot of support. But given everything, I think Albertans would be better served right now if I stayed in the important role they've already given me. The hardest decision she's ever made. So Michelle Apple not running. She's written like a 5,000-word essay about the splits in the party. Not running. Okay, so does that mean she's back on the Brown campaign? We'll find out. Uh, that's interesting. Um, so who will replace Jason Kenney? In the meantime, yesterday on the program, I spoke to a woman in Montreal. She's a teacher named Marie Tremblay. She's been sitting in a tent for two days outside a passport office waiting to get her six-month-old a passport before they leave for a wedding on Tuesday. Um, tomorrow, the office is closed. She doesn't think she'll get it, but here's what she said. I brought my tent, and I have a six-month-old with me. I can't do anything. 
they told me they're booked for today and tomorrow. They're closed Friday. They're closed all weekend. So I have a wedding to get to, and I won't be able to make it. And and she says it's worse. She said she might get arrested if she continues to stay. Listen to this. No, they told us uh, they're booked for two days. Uh, there's no point of waiting to go. And they might even arrest us if we want to stay here. Now, this has been such a national story and a nightmare. And I know Karina Gould, the minister in charge, is going to come out and speak today. But let's flip the telescope. On one side of the desk, furious, angry, exhausted citizens who demand the right to have some basic services. And that's fine. But what about the sur- the people on the other side? What are they doing trying to face all this anger? Well, apparently they're getting harassed. The passport office workers are having a nightmare themselves. And Kevin King is the national president of the Union of National Employees at uh, Public Service Alliance of Canada. They represent employees and passport officers. Kevin joins me now. Kevin, we're hearing one side, which is citizens are furious. The word incompetence is being thrown around every day. What are you hearing from the staff members there? Well, first of all, Evan, good afternoon. I'll simply start by stating that we have identified the problems with the lack of the passport officers at Economic and Social Development Canada for a good chunk of the last calendar year during the pandemic. And we suggested to the employer at ESCC to staff up officers during the pandemic because it's as you may know, the 10-year passport application, that peak doesn't happen until late spring 2023. So they're completely flat-footed. They didn't do the training. They didn't certify passport officers. So that is, I'll stop there, Evan, for now, because there's a bunch of other context I'll add. Okay, but I want to, I just want people to understand. Kevin King, you're saying, as the national president of the Union of Employees who work there, that you warned the government, that's the employer, you said, hey, we need staff now. You're going to be behind the eight ball soon. And they didn't we listen. Need, we need, Evan, we need passport officers who are able to entitle passports in front of those wickets at those 35 passport officers, offices across the country. They um, keep talking about this uh, commentary from Minister Gould and others that they are hiring 600 passport personnel. That's what they say. We are hiring that's a, that's 600. That's not good enough. The personnel, uh, do a deep dive on that personnel. We cannot get direct information about how many of those 600 people are able to entitle a passport. That's where the bottleneck is, in case you did not know. And, or your listeners did not know. We also are talking about um, the public, um, if, if their passports had lapsed during the pandemic, they could have mailed it in for a simple renewal process. And as a as somebody who has a passport myself and as a client, uh, I normally have a passport in hand and secure before I book international flights. This is further compounded, Evan, by the fact that the southern borders reopened in the in the early spring of 2022, and with passport offices being so close to our southern a neighbor of the United States, people have a clamor for this, and it's all amplified by the fact that we're just past the uh, the summer solstice and people want to travel, kids yeah, are out of school, they want to go. But, okay, but I'm just trying to get that. The minister keeps saying we're doing everything we can, there was an unanticipated level of demand, and we've hired 600. You are saying that, in fact, they knew this was coming, they should have anticipated it because they were warned about it, and two, that the, the figure of 600 doesn't make a lot of sense because they're not all the people that actually can 
uh, literally give people a passport. There 100%. are hundred percent. So these are the wrong. So the six hundred is actually a bogus figure because the bottleneck is the people that can actually um, distribute a passport. And you're saying that's not part of the six hundred. Well, it's, or that's it part might, of it, it but that's not the six hundred. Uh, Evan, that might be a fraction of the six hundred. We've been asking for a month for specific information for passport offices in the thirty-five specific offices. And uh, we've been talking to the deputy minister of EFCC and senior government leaders within the department. They can't answer the question. Minister Gould cannot answer that question. So you say, so you guys are getting hung out to dry. Is that what you're saying? I, that's what I'm saying. Not only that, the parliamentary secretary made a mistaken impression on Tuesday of this week, which was forced to be retracted, saying that the passport offices would be made open on June 24th in Quebec, namely Jean Baptiste, and July 1st on Canada Day, and that that was. Um, again, comments that are, uh, they're speaking notes on their website versus what's actually happening on the ground. Bogus. Is only part of the problem, Evan. Okay, but hold on. I got a couple minutes here. So why is it so hard to get more staff? Like, what is the bottleneck here? Why can't they just say, okay, let, let's get more people in? How hard is it? Passport officers require a heavy regimen of a 12-week training program to be able to have the the security and operational capacities to have a passport. Let's start with that. Okay, so it's not and easy. I, and and what, not, it's, you don't just, they may be a so-called uh, a, a group and level of a PM1, but for, for a lot of people in the government of Canada, that's an entry-level position. This is hardly entry-level. It's, it's subject to massive internal right. scrutiny, massive peer verification. Evan, I'll just say this for your listeners. With all the jostling and all the problems and all offices around, we, the union, also fear for the safety of passport office, officers providing these services. They've been psychologically harassed. They've been photographed. Stuff's been showing up on TikTok, social media, swarmed from their vehicles to and from their offices, and including to and from mass transit. Uh, um, buildings are being defaced when, 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 uh, when the lineups uh, are, are people that are told to go away. Damages are happening to washrooms, such as in 4900 Young in Toronto, for example. Mm. Uh, so it's a York. dangerous... So so you're getting bad uh, information, uh, you didn't get staffed up, they knew it was coming, and now... And it's, now a dangerous, it's a dangerous situation for our employees. I have informed Deputy Minister Peter Simeone, and by phone this morning to Karina Gould in her MP's office in Burlington, if our officers are not safe performing their function, including access to the rest of the building, right. we will be exercising matters within... The government of Canada's federal legislation with respect to Canada Labor Code. Oh my God! Okay, Kevin, hold on. I, I got to go. You're saying that if if you're not getting help, you could go on strike? No, we we'll, but we. That's not what I'm saying. I'm okay, okay, hang on. Here. Can you stay with me? I got to take a break, but c- come back. I want you to come back. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the show. So, I was in the middle of a conversation with uh, the national president of the Union of National Employees who represent passport offices to try to get to the bottom of what the hell's going on. Why are you lining up for days and days and days to get a passport? And Kevin King's on to say, well, wait a second. The minister said, don't worry, we're on it. Uh, this was all unanticipated. We never saw this coming. The huge pent-up demand. But don't worry, we're on it. We've hired 600 employees. Well, let's check that. 
Kevin King, the national president, has just said, well, did they know? We warned them months ago that they have to hire more officers. And we have to give them the 12-week required training, so you better get on it now. And by the way, about that 600, those aren't 600 people that can actually issue a passport. Those people demand training. Those are just 600 employees to work, not 600 people to man the wickets to do it. So it's a bogus number. And meantime, apparently... Things are so bad for the employees. They're getting photographed. They're getting vandalized. They're getting harassed. They're getting followed home. And Kevin King says, if that continues, something's got to break. Now, I don't know what that is. So Kevin King's back with us. Kevin. Uh, thanks, Evan, for taking the extra time this afternoon. Yeah, just clear it up for me. What, what did you mean by that? If, you're, if yeah, your employees are that, in danger, something's going to happen. Simply, simply put, um, we, we believe our employees, and we've had multiple instances across the passport offices in Canada, they, they've been spat upon, they've been jostled, they've been pushed, they've been harassed, they've been sworn at, they've been threatened, they've been swarmed. And we expect the employer to provide a safe and security uh, for those individuals, such as the obvious example, Evan, is commissioners at offices. But even the commissioners themselves are being jostled and overwhelmed. We've had doors in certain offices, such as the San Laurent location in Montreal, be breached two occasions by the public. We need civility in the public. And if you're not in urgent need of a passport within 24 or 48 hours, regardless who sent you, if it's yourself or a so-called MP file, that's a 14, and it should only be 24 or 48 hours, that's one thing. But if, you, if an MP sends you there and you're not traveling until the August long weekend, get in line, meaning go do it through the mail-in process or come back when the line dissipates for those who have urgent need of travel to get through, I'll say one last point, Evan, back to your first part of the question. If our employees are continuing to be harassed and swarmed, what I, what I was trying to state, the issue is not a strike, but federal legislation allows for employees to uh, participate with the Canada Labor Code, meaning they have the right to refuse dangerous work, and that's what it's becoming. Okay, uh, question. Um, well, just you said there could be the some kind of action, that if this if this dangerous work, what could you do? What kind of labor action could there be? Or what kind of response? Well, we can have, we can have employees file uh, the right to refuse dangerous work so it can be investigated by the labor program, uh, the labor officers of the ESTC. And, and, but fewer people will be on the counters as the determination of that danger is being determined. As you've heard in French and English media, the more and more incidents that happen in these offices, I would not be surprised if a labor officer would side with our passport officers and say it is definitely a volatile and dangerous place to work. Okay, but the, the, you're not, I just want to be clear, but you're not threatening, there's not, not going to be a labor stoppage. I don't, I don't consider it to be a labor stoppage whatsoever. We are going to be exercising the right to Refuse dangerous work until the employer takes every mitigating circumstance to protect our employees performing that important function for all Canadians and our clients. Okay, but what does that mean? So if you refuse work, could that mean, like, more delays? Why don't you ask the employer that question, Evan? Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm just asking what it means. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that's your intention. You're, but if there's a refusal for dangerous work, there's a chance that this could even be longer delays, right? Uh, yes. Not only that, the 600 people that they've hired... If they're doing things from other government departments coming in and helping out from CRA or other places, 
It doesn't matter how many people they bring in, Evan. If they can't entitle the passport, there's extra persons touching the passport. It's staying in a box or a queue or a transfer queue longer. It's actually going to increase the bottleneck and not decrease it. Oh, man. So things, in other words, you're saying things are going to get worse before they get better no matter what. Uh, Evan, this is not a story in front of Jean-Baptiste in Quebec or Canada Day in the rest of Canada. This is a story that's going to last into the summer, into the fall. It is not the news cycle of the week. It's not the flavor of the week. It's going to actually get worse because the volumes are increasing. And the passport renewal process in the spring of 2023 will then come to its peak. I don't expect any relief on this uh, for some time to come. We can't even get straight answers from the employer at National Labor Management Consultation meetings, which I attend twice weekly. Kevin King is a national president of the Union of National Employees representing passport officers. It's going to get worse. It's going to last the summer. It's going to last to the fall. Holy mackinac. How how many of your work? Can I just ask? Like, I'm just trying to figure out how it got to this level. Like, do you have workers, for example, that are still working at home? Do you well, have there do you have people, okay. employees that just is that impacting the backlog? Uh, that that's part of it, Evan. I'll explain. Passport is typically person based, meaning you come down to the office, drop off your documents, pick up your passport. The percentage of those things versus mail in applications is eighty percent, twenty percent. during the pandemic. It's absolutely in reverse. 20% of people are going to the offices. 80% are doing mail-in applications. When those 80%, and I'll go on and talk about these mail applications. There's a service standard. It started in middle of 2021 at 20 days. In the fall of 2021, it went to 25 days. And uh, let me help you here. Three weeks ago, it went to 45 days, and we, the union, weren't even given the courtesy of the notification that mail-in mail applications could take 45 days to clear. Of course, when the public has these changing dates, they're going to be ticked off. So guess what yeah. they're doing? Are you ready, Evan? Yeah. They're coming down to the passport offices and the scammer, and, uh, and amplifying the problem because they're looking where the hell... So what's the way out? Like, like, I don't understand this. So the union saying the government screwed up, you didn't get the support, this is a union, they're not communicating, they're not giving us support, they're giving out bogus numbers. The staff is thinking, hey, we're not going to work in an environment that's dangerous, that could threaten it more, more people are coming down because the mail-in days take too long. The government's kind of trying to say, you know, we're doing everything we can. Meantime, people are ticked off is, is probably the most modest word. What is the immediate way out? Like, you know, like the average person listening is not over. They're not saying, oh, boy, those poor union guys are, oh, boy, the poor government. That's they're like, correct. I just want my service. So what is the way out? If you're not traveling in the next month, don't come. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? That's the people have been waiting two years to travel. And now well, we're saying what I'm trying to say, Evan, I'm going to help a bit more. Because people in the queue are there for 24 or 48-hour passports, like one or two business days. Those are the urgent needs of passport. Okay, but if you're if you're trying to get a if you, if you're trying to get a passport, and you are you're not traveling through the fall, why are you adding to the aggravation of the line? That's because they're afraid question. that they're afraid that if they want to travel in September, they may not get one I by September. The issue, Evan, and that's a far better question for the employer to answer. With respect to how flat-footed they've been through this entire process, would you? I'm going to just ask you straight out because I was supposed to have an interview with Minister Gould today. She's doing a press conference and she canceled the interview that I have on Power Play today. What's your I'm key question? 
Well, what's your key question to the minister, Kevin King? I, um, uh, Minister Gould, are you able to guarantee that passport officers are going to be trained on the ground to lessen the lineups in our 34 passport, 35 passport offices across the country? And can there be a market change in this in four business weeks before the August long weekend? All right. I'm not even hoping for Canada Day weekend. I'm not. Jeez. It's just a, so August. Kevin King. I got. I'm sorry. I got, I'm out of time again, man. I, but I got it, Evan. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Kevin King is the national president of the union uh, of national employees at PSAC. They, they rep passport workers. Now, I don't know about you, folks. I, I'm telling you straight out. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this for you. Like I've, I've interviewed the minister. Now the union. I've interviewed people in lineups. Now this is the first time there's a bottleneck. We're getting told that the union says you're not being told the truth by the government. That 600 per people that the government's promising ain't going to help. And this is going to get worse before it's going to get better, according to Kevin King. And it will last into the fall. Put that into your collective pipes and try to smoke it. Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Boy, are we ever getting into it today. Uh, look, we've got great stuff coming up. Dan Riskin's going to talk about... Imagine, uh, you know, you have a loud neighbor and you got wallpaper that can absorb sound. I'm, I love Dan Riskin. Like, I feel like every week I get a chance to talk to, like, my most interesting friend. The guy who always knows something so interesting, and he sends me these notes like, hey, what about wallpaper that can absorb sound so well? Or, or, or what about people who can learn how to, how to echolocate like a bat? I'm like, all right, jump in the car. Let's go, buddy. Like, so I feel like our bestie's coming up. So that'll be good. So stick around for that. I just wish I could hang out with him more. In the meantime, I told you, that we were going to talk about conspiracies and competence today. And um, we are going to continue that. But can I just pitch you one more thing before? Because I'm going to get your text and calls on something after this break. And, and it's just so crazy. Sam and I were, were chatting about this. Have you ever booked an Airbnb? I, again, this is not for this segment, but I'm, I'm so intrigued about this. Imagine there, there's this whole thing that women are booking Airbnbs, fine, but they're doing it for a home birth. So some women are booking Airbnbs specifically so they can give birth. So, come on. What? Like if I knew someone's booking my place for a home birth, I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm going to get your calls on that. We're going to dig into that in a minute. That's it. Is that too much? That's too much. And then someone says, well, they have sex in your house. Why don't they have a baby in there? I was like, oh, I don't know. A whole Monty, I guess. That actually gets me on a rant about mattresses. Someone like, would you ever buy a used mattress from a friend? Like your friend's like, hey, you know, I, I don't need my mattress anymore. Do you want it? You're like, no, gross. And then you go to a hotel where like 10,000 strangers have had sex on a bed. And you're like, yeah, this is a great bed. As long as they change the sheets. And your best buddy's like, you want my mattress? I'm like, gross. It's a used mattress. No. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. 
I think I'm probably delaying what I have to say here about competence because I'm I feel like I'm just beating the same drum here, but I'm going to play this stuff for you anyway. Because it kind of bugs me. Now, I've been trying to get a, uh, an interview with the, the the RCMP commissioner Brenda Lucky, the uh, emergency preparedness minister who used to be the minister of public safety Bill Blair on this whole notion that after the mass casualty report into the horrific mass murder in April of 2020 in Nova Scotia, where 22 people were killed, including an officer, a pregnant woman, a teenager, a teacher, 22 beautiful people gunned down by a guy posing as a cop. And then afterwards, we found through the Mass Casualty Commission, who's investigating this, that there are notes by Superintendent Darren Campbell, senior guy in the RCMP investigating it, who wrote notes in it when he said that Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, said to him, please release information about the firearm that was used in the killings. And the guy said that would jeopardize the investigation because we're worried where the firearms came across the border. And as first reported by the Halifax Examiner, uh, the notes, the contemporaneous notes that Superintendent Campbell took said, alleged, in his notes, he wrote this. Why, why would he write it if it's not true? That Lucky told them that she had made a promise to the Minister of Public Safety, then Bill Blair, and the Prime Minister's office that they would release the information about that. Imagine. And she said it was has to do with their pending gun control legislation where they banned 1,500 different assault-style weapons 10 days after the killing. And look, governments do pass laws to stop things after killing. That doesn't bother me. They campaigned on it. But what bothers me is that if that is true, that is a tantamount to major political interference. Now, Brenda Lucky then released a statement that night saying, no, no, I would never jeopardize an investigation. And no, there's always a wall between us. And Bill Blair has repeatedly said, I would never. And the prime minister just said there has never would never interfere. That is never going to happen. Um, the the minister would never inform the um, uh the commissioner about what to do and, and interfere. So last night I had a liberal MP that they sent out on our show, uh, power play, uh, Talib Nur Muhammad. And I asked him, and I want to play you this. I asked him to, um, explain what happened and if they would support an independent investigation. Here's what he said. Well, let me, let me take a step back here because I find it preposterous that we are seeing today that somehow we decided we were going to capitalize on the mass killing of Canadians to advance something in the form of gun control that we had, that the government had been elected on in 2019 and has been part of our platform ever since. Canadians elected us to do exactly that. The timing on this is, you know, if people are saying you you took advantage of something, you know, thoughts and the prayers- The is very convenient. Well, let's talk about that. Thoughts and prayers after every single mass murder in the United States are not enough. What we, what we demonstrated is that something terrible happened and we were elected to do something whether or not that mass shooting that awful tragedy which has devastated families had happened we were still going to move forward on this legislation because it is what, it is what canadians elected us to do the fact but, that we responded shows that we are actually aware of the needs of canadians but sir sir re respectfully it's not preposterous to allege this it's literally 
I hope you realize, and I hope you've read the Mass Casualty Commission report, because if you think it's preposterous to raise it, I'll read you why this is being raised. It's literally in the Mass Casualty report that is investigating the mass murder of 22 Canadians. And in it, a superintendent, Campbell, who's in charge of the investigation, says that the commission of the RCMP stated, quote, that the Nova Scotia RCMP didn't understand that all this was tied to the pending gun control legislation that would make officers and public safer. It's, it's the evidence, sir, in handwritten notes that is tying this to your party's gun control legislation. It's hardly preposterous, sir. It's evidence. Well, there is evidence from one individual who has taken notes. You have the commissioner of the RCMP, the commissioner of the RCMP, who last I checked had the, had the confidence of the Committee of Public the Committee for Public Safety to do her job saying that there was no political interference. You have a minister of the Crown saying that there was no political interference. So it is important, I think, for us to stop playing this game of continuing to undermine the institutions that keep this country safe. I am so furious about that. You're not undermining institutions by questioning them. You're literally doing what democracy is supposed to do. We're free and must question them. Questioning institutions isn't undermining them. That's what a tyranny says. Oh, you're questioning the institution. This is evidence in a mass casualty report. This is notes from a superintendent in the RCMP who took contemporaneous notes, who alleges that the commission of the RCMP said she'd made a promise to the Minister of Public Safety and the Prime Minister's office to release information that he believed that he was in charge of would jeopardize an investigation into a mass murder. And now we're being told by liberals, hey, they've denied it. Leave it there. That's enough. No need to investigate. Walk away. It's totally good enough. And by the way, it's preposterous to do this. No, it's not. It's evidence. And by the way, it weakens the institutions. No, it doesn't. We know how it's supposed to work. There's clear, legitimate, prima facie evidence that it's not working out as it should be. These are notes, handwritten police notes from a superintendent. That is enough of a threshold to not just say, well, the... A minister in charge said there's nothing here to see. He didn't do anything. And the commissioner, maybe they didn't. Maybe the notes are wrong. I don't know. But this meets the threshold to investigate because, of course, it's in the self-interest of the minister and the commissioner to say they didn't do anything wrong. Because if they admitted it, they'd have to resign because that's political pressure. So, of course, they're going to say, well, of course, that never happened. But then if it never happened, why did Campbell make the note? There's nothing in it. For a superintendent at the RCMP to do that. There's no reason why he should do that. This is not preposterous to question. It's essential. This does not weaken institutions to hold them to account. It strengthens them. This is not opposite day. Questioning institutions when you have this level of threshold is the essential duty of parliamentarians and the media and the citizenry. And it is hardly preposterous for you and I and all of us listening to make sure we hold the instruments of power, specifically the RCMP, to account, especially when there's 22 Canadians who lost their lives in a mass murder. Come on now. Do better. Let's take a break. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. 
This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. All right, let's ditch the politics. Can I, this story just so intrigues me. I'm dying to hear what all of you have to say about this. So call me at one 855 633 or 71010. So let's say you have an Airbnb. And it's being rented out. According to a, an article we saw, I, I always credit the, the source. We read this first in something called Mail Magazine. Apparently, women are booking Airbnbs for a home birth. They're great guests. Like, and, and they talk about this 28-year-old woman named Jenna, and it was her second kid, and they have a midwife, and it was in Texas. And so she's like, you know, we're in the country, so like, you know, we want to be close, so we Airbnb'd it. And I didn't tell the host, why would we? If we, if we made a mistake or if we damaged it, we'd pay for it, but no problem. We just had the birth in the home. I'm just like, okay, I I don't know. Is that, what do you think? If you have a home birth at an Airbnb, should you have to tell the Airbnb owners like, hi, we're renting it or or not? Like, you're not like you're saying, yeah, I'm renting this Airbnb and I'm going to be, um, you know, having intimate relations with someone. You don't tell that. You don't give your personal information. Should you have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm using your Airbnb for my um, home birth? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I legit, part of me is like gross. Like, no, I, that's too much. And part of me is like, why? What's the big deal? Who cares? I, I actually really need your help on this one. Evan, I have a lot of problems with the Airbnb. I, thanks for the housing crisis. But if people are using it for their home births, have at it. My daughter was born at home, and it was clean, quick, and very good experience for mom and dad. Much more comfortable and peaceful than a hospital. If the Airbnb is close to a hospital, that makes the whole thing safer for unforeseen. Have at it, people. Seven ten ten. Wow. That's probably where I'm going to land on this. That's probably where I'm landing. One eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. Now I will tell you this: when we were having kids, um, we went to a hospital, and 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 eventually my wife had an emergency C section, and we had kind of struggled to have kids a bit, and um, and I talked, I'd done a documentary on IVF and stuff, and um, so we were just like not taking chances, and we were like, if something goes wrong, and actually something did go wrong. We are damn glad we were in the hospital. Um, but a lot of people have had home births very safely. So I'm not, you know, one was, this was right for our comfort level. Our experience worked for us. Some people love the home experience, love the midwife, and it has been a beautiful experience for them. So, you know, as I always say, you never judge another family. Someone says, I love the home birth. I'd never go to a hospital. It's not a medical condition. I'm, we're not sick. It's actually the very opposite. So why would I go to a hospital? Like in France, they treat having pregnancy. They're like, have champagne. It's a great celebration here. We treat it like you've got a, a medical condition. I get it. But, and maybe you do that. Evan, use your own home for birthing or go to a hospital. I wouldn't want a medical emergency to take place and the liability there. As long as they clean up, though, Evan, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't care what goes on, and I don't. And I don't care. Okay, okay. One eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. I think I got problems with my call, uh, Sam. I'm not getting uh, stuff's not going through in my caller. I'm gonna read some texts because my. I think I got a tech issue here. Uh, if there is a home, if there is home water birth. And they had to fill up one of those tubs. They would be using a lot of water, and the bill would be high. Oh, come on now. Come on now. Really? 
That's part of the problem. I mean, that's part of the deal. You you rent it out, that's your deal. Get What are you going to say, you use too much hot water? Is there any restrictions on how many people can spend the night? Insurance, re-Airbnb, person home. Yeah, like what happened? If the, some, what, what about the worst case scenario? Is there any liability? I don't know that question. I don't know. Right? But then again, if you're into the, um, the situation with um, home births or, or Airbnb, like there's lots of people who are doing all sorts of things in your Airbnb. And I, I'm kind of like, if you have an Airbnb, uh, you better figure it out pretty quick. If you, if that person, you know, I think you just got to adopt the don't ask, don't tell, right? I don't want to know what you're doing. Don't break anything. Here are the rules. Don't break stuff. Don't move stuff. Just do what you do and just leave it as your, you know, leave it as your, Jacob, I think I may have solved my tech issue. Jacob, what's up? Are you there, Jacob? I'm, I, I, I may have some issue here, but maybe you've, maybe you've got me. Jacob. Yeah, I think I do have an issue. Jacob's not coming through. Let me know if I can get you, Jacob, or, or, or anybody. Yeah, this sometimes happens here on the old, on the old big show. I have never uh, – I, I re- Evan, um, Annie from Barhaven, what happens if there's complications? They can't get to a hospital. God forbid mom or baby dies or has a serious health issue. Is the owner liable, says Annie. Yeah, Annie, that's the question I have. I, I would say no. Like, it would be the same thing. Like, let's say, for example, Annie, and I don't know, maybe you Airbnbers can text me at 71010 uh, or call me. Let's say someone slips on the bathroom floor in your Airbnb and hits their head on the counter and dies. Is the Airbnb person liable? I'm sure there's a contract that says no. But if the Airbnb catches fire... I'm sure they are, right? Renting someone's house to have a kid, really? You can't have a kid in your own home? Someone has more money than and bottles, okay, the brains. Evan, no parties, no pets, no giving birth. <laughs> Maybe that's the new thing. Uh, no parties, no smokes. Uh, Joel, what about that? Let's try Joel. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're fixing it up, Joel. What's up? Hi, Evan. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there was a comedian that once said, you know, everybody's always filming the birth of the child. Why don't people start filming the conception? All so right. you're, renting an, you're renting an Airbnb. It, it shouldn't matter whether you decide to have sex or not have sex, give birth. It really, unless there's some detrimental thing to the property, but it just doesn't, uh, I think it's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's even just a personal thing. I mean, you're renting it out. I mean, unless it says that somewhere on the form, which right. I, I probably guess it doesn't. I agree. By the way, by the way, I don't know if you've been on something called the internet lately, but there's a whole lot of people that film a whole lot of attempts at conception. <laughs> I just want you to know that. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any shortage of that film around right now, just for the record. Okay. Well, people are giving births in cabs and in weird places if they have to, so I, I don't really think it should. Uh, yeah, that's so I'm you wouldn't care. I, I'm, I'm just kidding around with you, but like, there's funny, no, right? I like, I think you're right. I, I think I'm landing where you are, Joel. But at first, it struck me like that is weird, though, right? Like, just like you're gonna have a baby in here. It's like okay, it just seems so well, so significant. Very polite. Very polite. Yeah, it's such a significant thing. Like going to be intimate somewhere. It's like whatever, but. I don't know. Babies are such a big thing. Anyway, I appreciate the call. And uh, 
I'm not advising you, by the way, to go searching on the internet for that. But uh, thanks, Joel, and thanks for getting through. I don't know what's what, what, what's cooking, Evan. I've hosted home births two or three times, no issues. I enjoy the privilege. Uh, two were out of country parents. Listen, um, people who do home births love it, and it probably is one of the coolest miracles um, because seeing a birth, seeing life happen, is great. Um, Evan, it's a baby, not a puppy. Go to the hospital. You may want to go to the hospital. I may want, my wife wanted to go to the hospital. A lot of people don't. Evan, I've had two babies in the hospital. How do I know in advance what date I need to book? Yeah, that's true, actually. That is actually kind of true. You're booking an Airbnb, and what what if you're late? Was this based in the U.S.? It makes sense because down there, hospitals cost a fortune. Oh, gray. That's true. It was in the U.S. Maybe that's the reason you can't afford to go to the hospital, gray. Now, there's a point we haven't met. Gray, text of the day. That's pretty good. Yeah, like in the U.S., you got to pay for everything unless you've got health insurance. But if you don't have health insurance, maybe you got to have a doula or a midwife and you just do it at an Airbnb because you have to. In Canada, that's not an issue, thank goodness. That's kind of interesting. Gray, uh, 71010, texture of the day. Nice. Good point. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, our best friend, Dan Riskin, is going to join us. Now, what is Dan on today? Maybe if you've got Airbnb and someone giving birth in the next apartment, you need that wallpaper that will stop the noise so you can't hear the shrieking. <laughs> and human beings as bats. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't even know what he's going to talk about. I can't wait. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. All right, it's time for our favorite segment of the week where our best buddy, Mr. Riskin, joins us to tell us something that will blow your mind. Riskin it all with Dan Riskin. It's good for you overall. Yeah, this is great. This is It's a dream, man. The headline is Risking It All. Yeah, I think that's where we're going with this. With Dan Riskin. Mr. Riskin, this one hey. is for you because yeah. it's about bats. That's well, your bailiwick. And it's about people. I mean, it's, it's about the fact that we all have this superpower that we just have to tap into. It's like... It's like in Star Wars, the way there's this force that runs through everything. And if you just, like, meditate properly, you can tap into it, and you can have the force, too. And then, like, you watch that movie, and you just constantly wish it was true. This is a, a superpower that we really do have that we could tap into that we haven't tapped into, most of us. And if you do, you can have it. Can I just say, I know this has to do with humans can echolocate just like bats. Just for the record... Um, the word echolocate is great because I, I really, it always reminds me of the word e-chocolate because that's what it looks like to me. So I'm like, oh, this is like a delicious word and a superpower skill. Like it's like e-chocolate kind of, but it's chocolate. All right. I so like what is, what does this mean? What, how do we, uh, eat chocolate like bats? Well, so here's the thing about echolocation. Bats do it. And a lot of people know about that. Basically a bat shouts, it listens to the sound of its own voice coming back to it. And then it gets all kinds of details about what the, its voice hit. And it can like, be very accurate. It can tell if there's an insect sitting on a leaf or not. 
Uh, you can see small things floating in the air like a moth flying around a flame, stuff like that. And it's just this really highly developed uh, sensory system. But it turns out that if humans try, they have a pretty impressive system, too. And the research shows that it's, it's mostly used by blind people, but you don't have to be blind for it to work. So this is something that anybody can do. And all you have to do is you click, you make a clicking noise with your mouth, like kind of a that kind of a thing. And exactly, like it's sort of a, it sounds like kissing, but really it's like a click on the side of your mouth or whatever works for you, just a percussive loud noise. Right. And then if you close your eyes and pay attention and move around a space or hold things in front of your face and take them away, you will find that you actually can perceive a little bit about what's going on around you. You can tell if you're in front of a wall or not. You can tell if somebody's holding something in front of your face or if they're not. Really? And you can work on this skill to the point that you can actually navigate around a space in the dark, like a, a Y-shaped wow. chamber or, or going around a corner. These are things that people have been trained to do uh, very easily in, with just a few hours of training every week for 10 weeks. Uh, people were able to finish a course and then they could echolocate better. And this is people who could see, people who were blind. And the blind people said it improved their lives. It gave them abilities to do things that they couldn't do. 83% of the people who took this course wow. said that it, it made their lives better. But for the rest of us, like, there's no reason not to have the skill. It's just like it would be really handy when you're in the basement. You're too lazy to find the light switch to be able to echolocate. It's like having the force. First of all, if I was running around the office doing that kissing noise, I would know immediately everyone's moving away from me. They're like, he's lost his mind. So I'd, that would be my first thing. I'm like, I'm echolocating the fact that my entire team is running as far away because I'm a creepy giant running around going. They're like, oh, my God, he's lost his mind. But have, now you're a bat guy, Dan Riskin. Have you actually tried this? Have you done this? Yeah. So one of the best experiences I've ever had at an art gallery involved me echolocating a piece of art. So <laughs> I went, I was at the uh, Institute for Contemporary Art in Boston. And right. this has, it's a place that has some really wacky out there stuff. And I went into this dark room and there was this screen lit up in front of me that was red. And it was just a red screen. And it looked like a TV screen. It was just red. And I thought, this is dumb. I don't get it. I left. And then I read the little tag. And it said, this is a piece of art that plays with uh, contrast and your depth perception. I said, depth perception? There's nothing deep about it. So I went back in there, and then I looked at it again, and I realized that might be a screen, or it might be a hole in the wall, and the whole room behind it is lit red, and I just can't find anything to focus my eyes on. So I didn't want to touch it in case it was a screen. So the best way to find it if there was a hole there or if it was a solid object was to echolocate. So I put my face up against the wall, and I echolocated. I clicked my tongue, and I moved sideways until I came to the space where the screen was. And I could tell immediately that there was a hole there. And then I put my arm through it. And I was like, wow, this is actually the best piece of art I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. And it was because I had that experience there. So, I mean, that's kind of an esoteric sort of example. But it is a skill. I mean, people who really use this, literally, like blind people can ride bicycles echolocating and avoid bumping into things. So, so how much do you have to like, so, so what happens here? So like if you make the sound, you're, you're saying like, like, what are you perceiving back? I, I'm, I'm literally trying to figure this out. So what, what, well, what are you listening for? So, I mean, you know from doing radio that one of the things that they do very carefully, the room you're sitting in has got foam all over the walls, and that's to prevent echoes from coming back off those walls. Right. And if they didn't put that on the walls, then you would hear a sort of a tinny noise. When you're doing a Zoom call with somebody, you can tell something about their office by sort of how echoey their voice is. That's the beginnings of it. 
It's basically the way your voice bounces off of things. And if you're paying attention to it, you can get all kinds of information about the world around you. You can find out if there's an object or not, and you can actually perceive what direction it is mm. to the object. And, and I mean, if you search on YouTube, you can find all kinds of videos of mostly blind people doing this and showing, look, you know, standing in front of a tree and saying, okay, the tree goes up this way. And then, okay, there's wow. a branch here. And then, okay. And then it looks like some leaves over here. And they can do all that just by listening to it. So it's really just a matter of right. focusing and paying attention to it. Now, this kind of is amazing because it's links. Everything would be great the when you you kind of internalize your energy your echolocation from a bat but then some then your buddy has screwed you over because they're into moths and they have self-absorbing wallpaper and they're like ha right. ah, now your geo, your echolocation is screwed up what is sound absorbing wallpaper yeah so there's this new paper that is about messing bats up and how to use that for humans so i alluded to this with like the studio that you're in where there's foam on the wall if you were echolocating, you might be more likely to bump into that wall than you would, say, a wood wall that makes lots of echoes. Because the, the sound uh, absorbing foam does exactly that. It prevents echoes from coming off of it. And right. so it's very hard to perceive. Bats hunt moths using echolocation. And so moths do the exact same trick as the foam on the walls where the moths have have scales that don't reflect echoes. They sound silent. They absorb the sound. So when a bat shouts at it, a very little echo comes back, and that's a way of hiding. It's almost like auditory camouflage wow. so that you can't pick it up. It's amazing. And so some researchers have just done a big study on this in, uh, in the U.K., in Bristol, and they've shown that they understand how the scales on the moth are absorbing the sound. And now they're saying that the next step is going to be making wallpaper that does the same thing. So instead of having big, ugly foam in your in your studio or in, in your work office or whatever, you could have a, a strange wallpaper. I guess it could be painted with a pattern or something like that, but its texture would absorb sound and using moth wings as inspiration. So it's a bio-inspired wallpaper idea that would do basically the same thing. And it's all, you know, that's the thing. It's like studying bats seems like a giant waste of time until all of a sudden you realize there are all right. kinds of applications. And, you know, COVID-19 kind of proved the point when everybody all of a sudden had a lot of questions about bats. But it is echolocation and soundproofing oh, and all that stuff. Oh, my God. Bats, bats and moss, the wallpaper, you can you can echo. You're the bat. Like, honestly, I, I'm okay. going to say this. I, I love talking to you. You are just the greatest oh. guy. Like, I learned so much. I, I, I just, you're the greatest. Uh, thank you. I just love this. I just... You blow my mind every day. You open up the world. That's just fantastic. Dan Riskin, Riskin and all. Thanks, man. You're the you're you're, you're the greatest, fine. man. I'm serious. Thank that you. was that that just blew my mind. Like honestly, I just love that. Uh, all right, I gotta go do power play. I'll see you at five p.m. Join me on CTV News Channel. And uh, wow, what a great what a great hangout together. Thanks.